Our last order's at the bar! You right there, fellas? What are we having, then? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, um, I'll have a single measure, please. And, Rob, it's on me. What would you like? Oh, cheers, Cam. Uh, I think I'll get a double measure, please. OK, I do apologise. I'm slightly new here. Um, what do you get in that single measure? Yeah, I've not seen you here before. Um, OK, so the single measure, uh, which I, this is why I'm going to have it, because I love it. OK, yeah, so you get access to the last orders after show, 10% off all merch in the store, and also access to exclusive patron feed posts. And what do you get in your double measure there, Rob? Well, actually, interesting. You get all of that, what Cam's having in his single measure, but you also get access to the extended guest interviews. So wow. for Ooh. £5, that's that's a real steal, yeah, actually. Because I know the cost is, is £2.50 uh, for the single measure there, Cam, and it's £5 for the double measure there, Rob. Yeah, I think the double measures is really good value, that, I think. It? Do you know what? I think I might treat myself. I think I might go out for the double measure as well. Look, you know what, Barman? We'll have two double measures, please. Two double measures coming up. That's right, guys. We're taking the photography bar to the next level. And starting in May, we're going to have exclusive content arriving on Patreon. So make sure you sign up at the start of May, uh, ready for this exclusive content that's coming your way. Bonjour, konnichiwa, bonjourno. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Photography Bar podcast. And I think I've just about used up all of my hello greetings uh, for different languages there. Any more to add to that, Cam? Yeah, ciao, sasrikal. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, namaste, that's another oh, one. Namaste. There's three there. There's three there. And the reason for that is uh, is that we are a global brand now. The photography Hola. bar. Hola. Is that, actually, Hola. is that actually one? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, it's oh, hello. Right. Isn't it? oh, yeah. Sorry. Hola. Can't really show my uh, lack of education <laughs> here. Yeah. Um, but yes, yes. No, we are a global brand now. The photography bar, aren't we? Can we have we we have reach now in, in all all four corners of the globe? That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, it it really all kicked off in Portugal, didn't it? Really, that was when we first charted outside of the UK, and then now we've got Australia. <laughs> we've had say, Canada. Do you know um, what? We were in Portsmouth for a shoot the other week, weren't we? And I thought that's what you were talking about just then when we went to Portsmouth. And I was like, what are you talking about? Portsmouth? <laughs> then I realised, no, he said Portugal. My Portugal, bad. yeah. Now, Portugal is where we charted outside of the UK for the first time. Yeah, yeah. In the, the uh, strong listenership in Portugal. So thank you to all our Portuguese <laughs> listeners. That's um, right, yeah. It sounds and like we're taking the mic, but we're not. We, no, we're not. We genuinely have, have people listening all over the place. And mm. obviously the UK is where we get the majority of our listeners, but we've got people everywhere. We, got, we're spreading. We're spreading. We have, we have indeed. Shall we kick into it then? Um, what we're going to talk about today, Robert? But actually, no, hang on, hang on. Before we kick into it, we've got something extra today starting, haven't we? That's right, Cam. Yes, you're absolutely right. So as we have been uh, plugging on the show, shamelessly with our horrific B-movie um, <laughs> advert that we put together, um, you should know by now that the photography bar is upgraded. It's getting an upgrade. The bar is getting a refurb. And uh, we are now going to be live on Patreon at the end of this month, or start of next month, May. And uh, today marks the start of our first ever premium content recording and at the end of this uh, free episode that we're going to continue doing just as you've always listened to it we've got the first ever um last orders after show where the bell rings to signal last orders at the bar and we stick around for our, our, our last drink and uh, continue the show for our, our patreon listeners so if you want to be a part of that and you want to hear the last orders after show you need to sign up to our patreon feed links are in the episode description and uh, and and that really kicks off properly at the start of at the start of May. 
That's right, yeah. And uh, so welcome everyone to today's episode. It's just myself and Rob here today. There's no Mark. He is busy shooting today. So, um, which is which is all good because it's already uh, started to pick up again for him. And uh, I think he's doing uh, a couple of cosplay shoots today uh, in his studio. Uh, so he's not with us today. He's not here for the first lock-in either. But um, I'm hoping that when do uh, we last come... orders come? Last, last orders. orders, last orders. When do we come? <laughs> when do pubs and restaurants open for indoor? dining when when does that happen it's 15th of may or something oh, isn't crikey, it it's around there know. yeah if all goes well yeah. it's mid-may i think yeah, yeah that's right yeah looking forward to that when we can get back into the real bar and uh and um and meet up and do these uh podcasts as we first started when we first started doing them that's 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 going to be good but i want to go go into what we're going to talk about today and um it, it there's a bit of crossover robert because i know there was something that you, that we'd been talking about this week that you mentioned and it was to do with photoshop lightroom and and editing and um and somebody asked me a question earlier on this week about um going out to take photos but feeling quite uninspired um somebody who's a very good photographer um but has just thought lost a bit of inspiration, lost a bit of heart with it, has spent a lot of time going out during the summer and during lockdown last, sorry, um, during um, winter and spring this year and all of summer last year, doing a lot of photos. And he just said to me, I've just lost a bit of inspiration, don't quite know what to do. I've got a bit bored with it all, really. And and I would said to him, why don't you try something, why don't you try something a little bit different here? And the only thing is it's going to cost you. And um, it was to do with, and he was quite intrigued with that. And uh, he said, how much is it going to cost me? And before I told him, I said, well, it's probably going to end up costing you um, probably in the region of about 200 pounds, something like 250 pounds. And uh, so he goes, okay, well, tell me more about it. And I said, well, what you need to do is you need to go into eBay and you need to buy a film camera. You want to buy an SLR, not a DSLR, but an SLR. And why don't you go out and shoot on film? And if you really want to take it uh, a little step further, why don't you process your own film, process your own black and whites uh, and set up a little mini darkroom because you can easily go and buy the kit. I could have lent some of the kit to him actually for film processing. I've still got some somewhere in a garage and uh, he loved the idea. And it was only during this week. So he's been looking on eBay for cameras and he said, can you give me some pointers of what to shoot, how to shoot and whatever. I said, well, don't worry about what you're shooting. Um, just get used to using film. Now, you've never really used film, have you, Robert? You you came into the industry during digital. Yeah, I know. I've only ever used film when you've given me a camera with film in it. I think when I was on work experience with you. Yes, you and did, you showed yeah. me how to roll. And that was your that was like your your meet your your uh, what was it your like crossover camera that shot digital and film. Yeah, and you showed me how to roll the film in. Literally, apart from uh, in education where I might have had um, a little go at film here and there, I've had some pretty disastrous results. And I don't think, I've said this on the show before, I don't think, I'm quite a paranoid individual. I'm quite a, 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 a worrisome individual. I don't think I would survive in a film world. I don't think I would. I don't think I could send my, my prints off to the lab and get them developed and have them come back two weeks later and trust myself to get the exposure right. I'm a disaster. So there's no way. There's no way. Well, so, I think no, that's a good point because I think if you said now to a lot of photographers, a hell of a lot of photographers, um, and said to them, you know, I'm going to take digital away from you. You've got to shoot on film. 
I really don't think a lot of them, a lot of them would say what you've just said. They just wouldn't be able to do it. They would not be able to stay in the industry. They wouldn't be able to hack it. They just, they just wouldn't do it because of the the nerves and the fear uh, of getting it all wrong. But back then we, we didn't know about digital. It wasn't there. So we, there was no other option. So yeah, Robert, I understand exactly what you're saying, because I think if you asked uh, a lot of photographers today, would you, if I give you a camera, would you go and shoot on film? Would you go and shoot a wedding, say, for example, something you just cannot go back and redo? And I think the vast majority would be completely out of their depth and completely lost. And even if they weren't, I think the fear factor would really sort of just take away all their all their confidence. And um, But I think it's – I don't think I can – I don't think you can say that so much that when we were doing it that – there was a fear factor. There was was because we didn't know digital existed. Okay, so we so photography with film was the only option. So you just went along with that because you just knew that's just what it was. Did you ever have uh, two film slots? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that's a good point actually? And I reckon I reckon there's a bit of a market there for somebody who's going to come out with the first slr camera with film that's two rolls of film that duplicates the shots that you've just you know what that was a moment of absolute inspiration that was was. that's up there with the sd36 (laughs) it's up there with the sd36 that's a good idea actually i'd love to see that be the size of a medium format camera be huge (laughs) can you imagine two rolls of film but anyway going back to that was we we didn't know any different so we shot film because that's all we could shoot. The nearest we came to digital or seeing something quick was having Polaroid where you could do a shot on a, a test shot on say a Polaroid or something, but that was more studio based. You wouldn't very rarely would you use that outside. You certainly wouldn't use that at say like an event or something, but let's take it to wedding photography because I think wedding photography is where the fear factor comes in for people because not only are you trying to get the photos taken you you've just got no you there's no way of looking at the pictures so you've got to really nail the exposure uh, on your camera when you're using film and yes you could get away with you know if your images were one possibly a stop and a half maybe two stops either under or overexposed but be a bit of a disaster if you did and you know i remember when i was shooting weddings and you know shoot them on a Saturday, come the Monday, the lab would come and pick them up from me. And on f- the following Friday, I would get the images back. And I used to remember that when the lab used to deliver to me, I'd, I'd get the bag, open it up. And as long as there was some sort of an image on all of those prints, I was quite happy. I knew they'd all be okay. Um, and <laughs> Some um, sort of an image. <laughs> right? I mean, it sounds crazy, but, you know, an, a well-exposed image. And, and that's that was the biggest relief because the actual content of the photos I knew was going to be very, very good I, I, because I knew what I was doing and I knew what I was shooting. I knew the groups would be done well. I knew the shots of the bride and groom would be done well. Um, it was all very different then. It was medium format, so there was the second photographer there wasn't all the casual natural informal documentary style images that that photographers take at weddings today so yeah it was real you know uh, edge of the seat stuff and occasionally you'd get a shot where it was underexposed and you'd think oh no and you know could you get away with it but generally then you do you'd hope that the second shot that you took of it that was would, would be okay because you could tweak the exposure for the second shot but that's the other thing if we did so if we did groups you know, like these days, if a wedding photographer will sometimes they'll just fire on motor, won't they? On continuous, right? 
Exactly right. And take 15, 20 shots of the same group. But we'd, we'd take two. We'd take one, wind on, check the focus again, click again. And it sounds really cumbersome, but that's what that's how we used to do it. Yeah. But then when I came to digital, it was really, um, I had to get my head around getting used to 35 mil and shooting like that and thinking I could take more than two shots. But then, you know, for a wedding, I would walk away with 60 shots or 72 shots and suddenly those weddings got bigger and bigger with the number of photos we were taking. Suddenly there were 500 shots, there were a thousand shots. And you're thinking, God, you know, yes, it was brilliant to be able to take those shots, but it was also not such a good thing either because the more shots that you take, the more editing that you've got to do afterwards. Um, Can I jump in there? Cause that's really yeah. interesting that you've, you've come from that film era where you were very careful with the shots you took. And I remember going back a couple good couple of years ago now, when I was even shooting on Sony's or shooting on Nikon stuff, and I was watching this review of a Nikon D750 and there was this, this guy that uh, was reviewing it and he said that he, he said he couldn't stand the D750. So he hated it. <laughs> um, don't know why, because it's a great camera. Um, but he said on there that he'd shoot, he, he shot on two cameras and he came away with 7,000 shots on each camera. How are you taking 7,000 shots on each camera at a wedding? 7,000 shots. That's so many shots. I mean, I mean, he's got to have his camera in continuous drive. I know that I've worked with photographers who have had their cameras on continuous drive. I won't name them. Um, and they and I had to say to them, take your camera off continuous drive because by the time that you've shot a wedding um, with me, you're just giving me so many shots and they all look the same. Uh, you know, out of the 15 that you've given me, I'm only going to use one of them. And I can't tell the difference because they've all been shot in a continuous mode. Mm. And I think a lot of photographers started to actually realize this. Um, and I think that a lot of photographers now do put it into single mode shooting. Um, I think that, you know, I, I hear particularly wedding photographers, how it says it takes them weeks and months to edit a wedding. And Robert, you know that we'll shoot a wedding on a Saturday, have a few thousand pictures with two photographers, and by lunchtime on the Monday, those pictures have been edited. Yeah. Okay, they've had a first edit, and that's it. They're ready to go to customer for proofs. And that's what it should be. It should be minimal time spent. You shouldn't be spending weeks and months editing a wedding because it's just not cost effective. Um, but the first thing to look at is rather than – um, sort of thinking was taking me this much time to edit how can you cut down on the number of pictures that you're taking at a wedding and it's not saying well like there's a lot of shots that i all the shots that i do i have to take those shots it's more that have you got your camera on continuous drive are you doing 15 shots of every of for one shot because there's a lot of photographers that there that go out and do that or they'll take 10 shots of one group photo do, do you culling at camera stage yeah, exactly yeah and and if you're if you do it because you think, oh, you know, I've got the confidence to do that, that's fine. But the only way you can get that confidence is by trying it and putting yourself in that situation. Now, this is, comes back to the film uh, camera thing, because this is what I was saying to the guy I was chatting to earlier this week. And he's, he's not actually bought his camera yet, but he's he said he's been looking on eBay. And there's a number there's a number of cameras that are available. And he sent me a couple of links to have a look. And there's a, there's a handful that are, that are probably worth getting. Um, and they work out to about 175 pounds, which is, you know, which isn't too bad. Um, now, we also looked at the price of film as well. Um, so I was going through that and it was like going back in time and somebody was selling, uh, well, you can buy packets of boxes of boxes of five Kodak films. I think they're 36 exposure or something for about 25 quid or something. So five rolls of 36 exposure films. What's that? 30, 60, 90, 120, 150. It's probably about 180 shots for about 25 quid. 
Okay. Now, um, bearing in mind what I was saying before is I would come away from a wedding going back years ago, having shot on medium format when there was no evening coverage, mind you, with about 60 shots, maybe 72 shots. Okay. And that was on medium format film, what we call medium format or roll film, as it were, 120 roll film. Now, so you've got the cost of the film and then you've got to get it processed as well. But I also saw somebody on eBay selling one roll of Kodak. Uh, I think, I can't remember what film it was now. It was a 400 portrait. I think it was um, selling for 12 quid. It was one roll, 36 shots. So then you've got to get it processed. So you can see that it's, it is really expensive. But I was saying to him that once you get that film camera, you it's going to completely throw you um, because you're just not going to be able to look back at what you're actually shooting. And you're then going to wonder, have I got the metering right? What do I do? And you're going to have to rely on, on the light meter that's built into your camera. So that's one thing. If you're going to go and buy a film camera, uh, make sure that it's got a built-in light meter because a lot of SLR cameras didn't have built-in light meters. You would have to buy a separate light meter. And in this day and age, you don't want to be doing that. But, um, you know, most of the SLR cameras you'll probably come across that sold on eBay, you'll probably find a built-in light meter. And you're going to have to get used to using that. Uh, if you already know how to use it on your digital camera, then it's the same principle, really. You make sure that you just set it on zero. So you adjust the, the exposure, the aperture or the shutter. One thing you can't adjust, though, is the ISO. You're going to be stuck with maybe if you buy a roll of 200 ISO film, you're going to just have to set your camera onto 200 ISO and that's what you're going to be stuck with so you're going to have so many different things to think about because you're going to go into bright sunshine then you're going to go into real dark conditions and you won't have the luxury of um, adjusting your ISO as you go along so it's a real learning curve and I and I'm going to be really interesting to see what camera he buys and and how he gets on um, so I suppose that's I was going to, I was thinking to myself as you were talking there, I was thinking, I suppose it's more of a technical challenge than it is a creative challenge, but actually it's, it's both in equal parts because this it's a technical challenge, but, you know, obviously because you having to really rely on your technical knowledge here of your exposures and everything like that to get them bang on using the light meter properly, et cetera. But it's a creative challenge because like we were saying there, you, you haven't got the same number of shots to work with. You can't just fire off. 15 shots of the same thing and choose the best one afterwards you've got to decide there and then or or at least you need to buy a lot of film if you are going to do it as you normally would do exactly because otherwise before you know it you've suddenly got to the end of your roll of film and you've only done one shot but you've sort of taken 36 shots of that one shot if you know what i mean you know you've just taken loads of variations of that of that same shot but you are thinking differently creative as well because remember you don't have the luxury of the iso so you might find that you just can't do the picture that you want to do because you might just be stuck with a roll of 100 iso or 200 iso or 400 iso so you start to just think differently and and again you might do a shot on digital shoot it look at it and think hmm, actually i'll move around a little bit or maybe I'll adjust the light on that or somehow, but you won't be able to do that because you won't on film because you can't, you don't see it straight away. You've got to wait. So there's so many things that you have to take into account. So as you're looking to take photos and what you're going to take photos of, you have to, you have to think carefully, look, is that going to work with the ISO that I've got? I've got the role of hundred ISO. Can, will it allow me to do the pictures that I do want to go out and do? So if you've got a role of hundred ISO film for, for a start, there's no point in trying to shoot pictures indoors. You may as well, you need to go outside in sort of, you know, bright overcast or sunny conditions. 
Or introduce lots of light indoors. Or introduce, oh, well, it's going to have to be a hell of a lot of light for 100 ISO. Um, and it just doesn't work the same as digital. You don't, it, you know, it's not as, film is not as forgiving as digital, as for forgiving as digital, if that made sense. Because I've heard arguments for the opposite of that, that it is more forgiving well in well exposure wise it's not i mean you'll hear you'll hear purists well well people that are really experienced shall we say saying well i had a roll of 400 um iso film and or asa is as we used to say so 400 iso film but i pushed it to 800 and what that meant was you could actually have a roll of say 400 uh, ISO film and treat it as if it was 800 ISO but when you did your processing you would perhaps maybe you change the processing time so you'd maybe have it in the developer longer or you'd cut the time of the developer down um, so it would a lot of it was also in in the actual developing stage of it as well particularly if you're doing black and white very few people process their own color film uh, it was too expensive because it was all temperature controlled um when you're processing black and white film it's all done at about 20 degrees and which is at room temperature but color film the chemicals needed to be heated to i can't remember what the temperature was now but it had to be an exact temperature if it was too high or too low it would affect the photos that you'd taken so there were so many variables because once you've shot your pictures on your film let's just assume that you've got black and white You've got to make sure that you process it properly. You've got then got the um, you've then got to make sure that you've got the the right chemicals for it. You've got to make sure that they're mixed up correctly. They're at the right temperature. Uh, you have a timer. You do it for the correct amount of time. And then once you've gone through the developer and you've gone through the the stop and then the fix, you make sure that you leave it in the fix for long enough and that you've agitated it. And if you use those, and people who have done this before, they'll know what I'm talking about. If you have the little tanks, you've got to tap them on uh, on the table and uh, while, while it's in the developer to get rid of all the air bubbles. And then once you've taken it out of the fix and you've washed it at the right temperature, you've got to dry it and you don't want to end up with dry marks on your negatives because sometimes you couldn't get rid of dry marks. So when you get the little squeegee and you wipe it down and squeegee and there was a way, I bet everyone's done it when you, when you, if you haven't got that squeegee just right, it's quite easy to get your film quarter up in it, or you try and slide the squeegee down in one long movement along the strip of film and it gets stuck halfway and that causes marks. So you'd use something like what's called a wetting agent to, try and prevent drying marks and and some people didn't have a film drying cabinet they just have to hang it up which would attract dust so this so do you see there's so many variables crikey in so we're, we're really sport now aren't we we That's are right. when we moan yeah. about oh well the iso doesn't go up to three hundred thousand. <laughs> exactly yeah get this camera because how high does the iso yeah. go up? how high do you need i have to say though talking about iso and stuff i never go off mm. on a, a tangent but at least our tangent here today is very much photography based <laughs> it is yeah um but uh how high do you really need to take your iso because he, you know i shoot on a sony a7 III now primarily and the iso on that goes in excess of two hundred thousand, i believe i believe it does i don't know because i never you got never gone up that high yeah i never had the re the need or the reason to go up that high so when we talk about iso getting pushed that far i, I rarely ever go about above uh yeah i was gonna say actually I'm the an same. absolute max my first yeah. camera didn't go above i'm gonna I'm not trying to make myself sound old school here because i can't <laughs> yeah. do that when we've just spoke about film but the first camera i had remember it was that little olympus camera i remember yeah and i think the maximum iso was three thousand two hundred yeah, okay. I'm we, surprised it went up that high. Actually, yeah, it might have even been sixteen hundred. Yeah, probably sixteen hundred yeah. actually. But um, you but, know, I'm you know, wh- how high does your ISO really need to go? I don't understand why we need to have these. Yeah, crazy I know the numbers. Yeah, they talk about they talk about you know how high the ISO goes and and all of that. But 
I mean, because the some one thing people I, say, don't they? Sorry to interrupt, Cam, but some people yeah. say, don't they, that they won't, they won't, some people are real. I don't want to, don't want to uh, attack any members of our audience. <laughs> no, of course, right? Not. I would never do that. No. But uh, you do see on forums and things, people talk about grain, like grain is like this worst thing ever. They won't, yeah. they won't even use an image. They won't, they'll describe it as unusable yeah. if you've got any noticeable grain. And that to me is crazy because a bit of noise, a bit of grain, when you look at something at 100%, no one's ever going to question that. No, they, they, they're not. And also they do add to the feel of some pictures, because if you're in a situation where you've got to take the ISO up so high that you're going to get noise within that image, the chances are it's probably in in conditions that are going to be so low lit, but the grain probably adds to the feel. Now, you'd get that feel in film. And I think that's where, you know, I'm going to relate it this a little bit to CDs. You know, when we went from vinyl to CD and you get rid of all of that noise, there were no pops, no crackles. Everything was just pure. It was clean. It was um and I think a lot of people look at digital photography like that. It's almost, it's like 4K TV. It's now, you know, uh, you've got HD, 4K, 8K or whatever. I think Sky Sports, do they do their super um, HD? And I'm not, not, I'm not really going off tangent here. <laughs> no, just, yeah, go on. Right. Go on. But Sky do, do they do, they do HD and then they do their one up from HD, don't they? I can't remember what it's called. Well, I really couldn't tell you to be honest Right. With you. Okay. And whatever that's called. And and you know, sometimes when you look back and you watch and you're flicking through the TV channels and you come across an old program and you think, wow, the quality of that's you know awful. I can't believe that's how we watched TV back then with that quality. You just get used to it. But it goes back to CD. I remember when I first listened to CD, it was just incredible. It was wow, it was a revelation. It's just no noise at all, no crackles, no dust, nothing at all. Um, and then people started to say, well, the sound of vinyl was warmer, it, it, it had those, it had a purity to it and everything. I don't think people say that so much about photography so much, but I do think people do sort of expect everything to be just absolutely perfect these days. Yeah. Um, and digital. I think sometimes things can become so bland when they're perfect. Yeah. Now, obviously we're talking here, you know, I say about noise, I say about things being perfect. Well, it's for a customer. It has to be right, of course. Mm. And you can get away with a bit of noise, a bit of grain, whatever you want to call it. Um, in your in your social side of photography your weddings and events but of course if you're doing like real commercial stuff real product stuff or whatever then you do need a cleaner image you don't want yeah. noise and grain so obviously it depends on what you're doing yeah but um but for some people they'll say they won't go above you know 2000 iso but they're shooting on all these brand new shooting on a d850 or something they won't go above 2000 iso yeah that's just crazy because those cameras yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the an ISO of uh, th- an ISO of three thousand two hundred, which is a low ISO now for DSLRs, um, compared to of a camera now compared to three thousand two hundred ISO on a DSLR that was released even five years ago, it's just so different. It's changed the, the ISO, the quality of the ISO has actually got better now. You know, um, I remember so- on my D seven thousand that I shot on, ISO six thousand four hundred on that was like horrific you know the 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 noise you lost all sense of quality in the image it was you know it didn't even look sharp um and that was its maximum iso but 6400 on the sony a7 III is crisp yeah you don't it's not, think oh, it's you... not noise free it's yeah. absolutely not noise free but oh my goodness it's it's usable <laughs> it's totally yeah, usable yeah that's right yeah and and i do see a lot of images posted on social media on photography groups and people say um they'll look at the picture yes but it's got a bit of noise and you look and you think yeah it's got a bit of noise but you know what it does it really matter it's going to have noise and i don't think people don't sort of embrace it you know um and embrace again, I think the it, noise i think embrace it's the noise. 
<laughs> I think it is to do right with that thing about you know going back to that 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 sound of CD. You know, we've just got so used to everything being so clean and crisp. We expect that in photography, but that just shouldn't necessarily be so. And I think that um, this this guy who's been talking to, he's going to really discover that. I'm really looking forward to see what he shoots. And in fact, I might try and get him on onto, uh, onto the pod at some point just oh. to talk about his experience of it. Could but we turn I this think, into the Photography Bar Film Challenge? Film Challenge, yeah, that could be a good mm. idea. And in actual fact, why does, those of you that are listening, why don't you go and do it? Why don't, Or if, you, if you've got a film camera or you've, uh, or, you know, you've got one up in the loft or something, it's been sitting there for years, you've never used it, go and get it out or, or ask your parents or you know your grandparents if they've got one somewhere um or go on to ebay and go and buy one um you know if you can afford to do it and, and try it go and buy a roll of film I, th- I still think you can go to places like boots and snappy snaps and get film processed i think color film um i'm sure you can uh, there's plenty of places you can do it yes there will be a cost to it and if you really want to take it a step further get into processing your own black and white film it's you know um once somebody shows you what to do it's it's pretty straightforward to actually go through the actual process making sure that you do that process really correctly is is something different um you'd still have to have them printed and then you'd have to set up a dark room with an enlarger and everything so you can end up spending and a really good uh hand soap or whatever it is to get the smell out that's right yeah i'm not i've never really done a lot of film but the little bit that i have done i know for a fact that you come out stinking of cat pee (laughs) it's right it's a a fix that smells that's what it is and you know and but i know many a time that i you know i've done it and and i reckon every photographer that's processed black and white film um you know has done it in the bathroom at some point you know and you block the windows out and remember when you're processing film um it's not under red light it's got to be under complete darkness or at least when you open the film and you load it into the tank once you've done that part of it the rest of it you can just put the lights on it's only when you're printing that you need to do it under a red safe light but if you're processing film there is a part of it where you have to do it in complete darkness or you buy what's called a changing bag where um, it's, it's like a light type bag uh, which you put your arms and your hands and harm, arms go through it and you load your film up in this little bag that's light tight and um, it's difficult to explain it actually for some yeah, of you. I've actually used one of these bags. I say I've not done much film, but I have used one of these bags. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I wrecked the film actually, because I didn't know who I couldn't feel what I was doing yeah. properly. <laughs> and you have to, and yeah, you have to, you know, you have to learn how to do it. And and before you process stuff like that, you start doing it. The bit that you have to do in the dark, you practice it over and over again with your eyes closed, when your eyes closed. And it's funny because you always have a little peek when you're practicing, but you can't do that. You're stuck in a dark room or in your changing bag and uh, you've got no choice but to go through it. But some, it, Something that's a bit of a challenge there out there for everyone. I'd be really interested to know if anyone uh, fancies doing that and to let us know how they get on is to is just to move away from digital for a while and uh, see how you get on with and film. And also, perhaps if you don't want to do the film challenge, you can do the ISO challenge. You and, do the uh, ISO challenge, yeah. And, and, and take it up high and, and see, yeah. see what you get. Because if you're someone that... As, uh, has a camera and you know I'm not, we're not having we're not having a go at anyone for not wanting to set their eyes so high it's completely up to you what you do um it might be that a bit of noise and grain doesn't work for you for whatever reason so it's absolutely fine but um if you just bought a camera and you haven't gone up to a certain iso because you know historically that to go above 3200 you know 10 years ago would be bad well, try it on these newer cameras now. If you've got a modern, you know, mirrorless camera or a more recent DSLR of some sort, take the ISO up and and compare it. It's radically different, really, really different to what it would have been ten years ago. Yeah, and also the thing is, as we were saying, that noise and grain 
you know, can really add to an image. And I think what happens also, I think a lot of people, they're, they're really good technically. You know, there's a lot of um, a lot of photographers that know their cameras inside out and they will talk about, you know, uh, you know, the I took the ISO up so high and I had noise and grain and, uh, you know, I put this lens on and this is how I set the camera and I set the light like this and whatever, but I'm disappointed with all the noise and the grain and whatever. They get so technical about it. Um, but actually, in fact, creatively, they're not very good because they're not paying attention to the creativity. They're just hung up on the technical aspects of their camera. Now, I know that when I teach somebody photography, I, you know, Robert, when we do it, we always talk about, we always, we always emphasize the fact that, that it's knowing how to take a good photo and the thought process of taking a good photo is more important or just as important as learning the technical aspect it's no good knowing shutter speed and iso and aperture inside out if you don't know how to utilize it and be creative with it you have to have and we're going to get our echo effects ready for this here we go the eye the eye you have to he's got a bit of an eye he's got a bit of an eye robert (laughs) i like to think cam we've got a bit of an eye i like to think we do yeah, that's right. Yeah, do you know we've heard that so many times, haven't we? <laughs> you have to have <laughs> the eye. I've got to be careful in case you have to. Yeah, in case you start taking a mic out of people, we would never. No, no, do we're not, that, not taking the mic, but it is funny, isn't it? We've all heard that cliche, and we all got a bit of an eye for that. It is funny. Or that person that comes yeah. up to you in the street and they say, "Cool, that's a bit of gear, isn't it?" Oh, that's yeah. a bit of kit. <laughs> that's, a bit, <laughs> that's a bit of kit, isn't it? That's right. We yeah. can all laugh. We're not, we're not making fun of anyone. You can all laugh at that. Yeah, it's all it's all funny, really, when it happens, isn't it? That's um, right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's so, all interesting stuff, definitely. Yeah, and it moves on actually, Robert, because we, you know, we were talking about things and about this earlier on in the week, and then it moves on to what what you wanted to talk about, um, because I was talking about film and moving away from digital and then you've got the processing side of it and that's all a manual process um because once you start on film then you you move away from image editing software you know and your lightrooms and photoshops you move away from all of those um and you you're do you know what before you go on to your bit robert i just want to finish off on this oh, yeah, on this it. area okay because when you work with a camera and your mind is switched on it's it, it's really good it's a really good release we've said it many times good release for for sort of is like mental you know uh, worries and that type of thing because you can really get engrossed in something and it's brilliant you have a real and it's such a reward when you take a great picture and you look back at it and it's even better when you get it back and you look at it on your screen and you do a bit of editing and it looks even better it's brilliant and you get so engrossed in it but you know there's nothing more engrossing than going into a dark room and processing a film, drying it and printing. You spend hours and days in a dark room. And I think I took the, I now look back and I take it for granted because, you know, and, and back then we weren't distracted by mobile phones and all of that. I can imagine having a phone in a, in a dark room with a group of people and everyone oh, making goodness. sure it's all phone turned off. It's all phone turned off that, you know, you know, that light that's coming from someone's phone is lights up the whole dark room. I can imagine that would happen in this day and age, but do you know, it was a great way of switching off because you would just lose days just being in a dark room because you were so engrossed in, in seeing the print come up in the developer and then you move it to the, you know, to the the stop and then to the fix. And then you'd go back again to your enlarge and you'd make the little tweaks and all of that. It was, um, days gone by. It sounds nostalgic. You've got a tear in your eye there, Cam. I have, but do you know, it was that thing, you know, they say that in, you know, to say to help your mental health these days that you need to be in the moment. And we have too many distractions these days 
to always be in the moment, to completely engross yourself because you're always looking over at your phone. Did I miss the call? Is it buzzed? What message have I got through? It's taken our attention away. And you don't get any messages. <laughs> but back then, I'm talking about other people. Yeah, I've looked over. I've not had one message for the last hour. Okay, right. So back then, you didn't have that. And and things like that, you did get completely, totally engrossed. And I think those people that that that, that did all of that can probably completely understand um, what I was saying. I don't think it's quite the same when you're on Photoshop or Lightroom. See, but I've always quite enjoyed Photoshop up until recently. Well, I'm, I've, I've put much, but I would say historically, I've always liked and enjoyed editing at, t- at different times more than mm. actually taking pictures. But I'm way, I'm way flipped the other way now. I, I'm, I'm looking to always just get through editing as quick as possible now, and I just want to be shooting and shooting and shooting. You know, I, I think that's, that's the way it's gone. But I actually got into photography because I really liked editing things, which is a bit, perhaps a bit unusual. And then my love of editing really evolved into a love of shooting whereas the shooting was always second to the editing at first for me yeah and and whereas i actually started the other day my photography career started with printing it started in the dark room um and i've always said it made me a better photographer because the companies i was working for i, I you know i got to the point where i was printing what the photographers were shooting in the studio and it was it was it was product stuff um uh, mainly and I was responsible then for the final image and I had to correct the verticals, the horizontals, or I had to um, make the images a bit darker, a bit lighter, do a bit of dodging, burning in the dark room to make what the photographer had shot perfect. So I, I was already aware of that, that that needed, uh, I could do some of that when I was actually at camera stage. So I knew that when I had the camera in my hands, I knew what my end result needed to look like. And I would take that into account. So I started really with with darkroom work um more so and now i don't i mean i i've not really edited really for years in any great detail i don't enjoy it so much it's still about it's still about the shooting really um but software has moved on so much and i'm still really intrigued by new software development and what happens and some of the stuff photoshop now does with the ai and you know stuff that's interesting so we're going from the darkroom and stepping into the light room, you could say. Exactly. That's yeah. right. Yeah. No one's ever said that before, have no, they? Exactly. Yeah, that's oh, right, really yeah. original here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're going from analog to digital. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but it but it's uh, that's some good branding by uh, Adobe. I don't need to pat Adobe on the back because they don't need that. But uh, but it is good branding, isn't it? Because it is, yeah. Yeah, you know, it is that's that is that it's a good take on developing your images isn't it from the dark room to the light room um yeah or the slow I mean, room should I mean, we say? The, yeah the, i mean a lot of the terms that were used in photoshop like they've got a dodge and burn tool in photoshop um and then they've got all of those things a lot of the terms that were used in the dark room are used in Lightroom. so they have tried to keep those 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 terms that were used in the light dark room still Although i'd argue that's probably more of a nod to film days rather than a necessity to call it dodge and burn or have the sponge icon and the and the you know what i mean and the dodge the little dodging tool i think that's probably that's out of that's out of a, that's a nod to the history isn't it rather than because a lot is. of people now wouldn't even know what those icons meant would they oh, oh, no, i didn't until you, you told me i know if you said somebody will get dodge and burn he'll use the dodge tool use the burn tool um it's quite funny because i think they've got is it the dodge tool they've got it's like a little stick with a circle over it and what we used to do in the dark room is when we wanted to dodge part of a picture to make it to to tweak the exposure we'd have something like a a, a metal coat hanger wire with 
a piece of paper, a dark piece of paper stuck on the end. And it was like, just like a stick, which would wave over the, over the, under the enlarger. It looked like a lollipop. That's right. Yeah. So they used the same icon really. And then the hand symbol that they had, that's how you'd use dodging and burning in the dark room. And, but th- those will go. I think Photoshop and Lightroom will stop using those eventually because they'll just become obsolete. But so many people, as you said, if you said dodge and burn, they would have no idea it relates back to film days. Or, or at least the icons. And yeah, that's right. Mm. But um, but it's uh, let's let's talk a little bit about, about Lightroom and editing and things because we were going to go on to that anyway, but it's a good, mm. I think we've transitioned quite nicely there. And um, I want to talk a little bit about Lightroom specifically. The state of Lightroom. I want to do a state of Lightroom address. Yeah, interesting. What is going on with that program? What is going on with Lightroom? Why is Lightroom, the good Lightroom, the one professionals really use, called Lightroom Classic? It's not classic. It's 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 Lightroom that actually works. That isn't mobile friendly. No, it's Lightroom that's got all of its features. All right, it's slow as bloody you know what, but. but that's the proper Lightroom. What's this 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 new Lightroom that's all mobile optimized and it's it's stripped away of its features with a completely brand new interface? Um, what's it all about? What's I don't get. You know, have you seen this, Cam? This new? Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I well, I was talking first of all. Okay, let's break it down because <laughs> yeah, I've it was a little rant there, but right. Uh, okay. So the, so there was a um, there was a student I was talking to going back a couple of weeks ago, and she I was explaining something to her in Lightroom, and she said, "Oh, my Lightroom doesn't do that." I said, oh, okay. And it was fairly basic what we were we were talking about. I said, right, okay, what version of Lightroom are you using? And she was she was on a she was on a laptop. And as it happened, she wasn't using Lightroom Classic. She was using the Lightroom app, I think. Well, it's just um, it's just called Lightroom. So is it Lightroom, right? So yeah, which, she was yeah. she was using a completely different version and not an old version, a current version of a different it was another Lightroom. Well, you call it Lightroom Classic and the consumer is going to assume that that's an unsupported, old, outdated Mm. version of a program. Yeah. Where, no, Lightroom's fully supported, new features all the time, apparently. And, and, and they continuously update alongside it, this new version of Lightroom. Um, that is almost about, I have to be completely honest. I'm going into a rant here. I haven't properly used it in, in some time, but I tried it out a few times when it was first released. I just thought, what is even the point of this? Just go straight back to Lightroom Classic. Uh, why would you use a, a lesser program? And, and <laughs> I mean, in saying that, if it's because they're trying to get away and rebuild Lightroom, well then why don't you just, why don't you just rebuild Lightroom? Why are you releasing two versions of it? If you want to stop Lightroom being clunky and slow and cluttered, then why don't you just work on the next update rather than sticking to your, you know, uh, quarterly version releases that they do to justify uh, an annual Creative Cloud subscription? Why don't you just work on a version of Lightroom that actually answers the problems that it has? Because it's slow, it's clunky, its, it's interface is in, it is in need of a bit of an overhaul, which I suppose I'm contradicting myself because the new version has has that new interface. <laughs> but what we don't want it a separate program. Well, just, hang on a minute. Just, hang on. Whoa, whoa. Hold, just hold, hold, hold Right. Sorry, Cam. Right, sorry, sorry. Okay, right. So how many versions of Lightroom, current versions of Lightroom are there? Are there, are there two or three? Because you've got, as far as I know, you've got Lightroom Classic. Then you yeah. said you've got Lightroom. And then yeah. is there a Lightroom mobile version? Or is the Lightroom mobile version just called Lightroom? Well, the Lightroom, yeah, it's just Lightroom for your mobile, really. But it, that ties in with the newer version of, of Lightroom because they want you to be able to take your editing on the go, mobile, tablet, wherever. Um, and, and that's kind of their big push to kind of, I think it's, I don't know who their market is because Lightroom 
isn't going to appeal to someone that isn't a photographer. Do you know what I mean? Oh, you see, yeah, someone I that isn't gonna, no one's going to sign up to the creative cloud if they're not a photographer. And if you're a photographer, you're not going to use a stripped down, weird version of Lightroom that doesn't have any of the features the classic quote unquote one does. Do you know what I mean? Just so you yeah. can sync it up with your mobile phone. Yeah, I'd like to know how many people, let's say, who are working professionally will go and do a shoot and they will then use the mobile version on their phone to edit the images. Okay, are, are, there, are there people that actually do that? I don't, I don't believe that for a minute. Any professional photographers that are using Lightroom to edit their images have probably got Lightroom Classic on their on their laptop and they might be editing on site, but they're doing it on a laptop. So they're doing it, they're not doing it in the actual thing. I, I mean, is is it really is it really for the consumer? Like is it a mass consumer um type of thing? But then in most cases, you might as well just go to Instagram and put an Instagram filter on exactly. it. Exactly. And that's what everyone does anyway. Mm. They're not they're not downloading Lightroom and buying a creative cloud subscription just to just to use this new version of of Lightroom that's stripped down, stripped back, hasn't got all the features. You know, I think bowl accounts is getting better, but why don't you just stop with the, the whatever, however many releases they do every year to justify their subscription, just work on a proper program. Don't release, you know, we'll have Photoshop classic soon and mark my words of Photoshop classic. Um, yeah, because what's the point? Why is it called Lightroom classic? Why don't you call it Lightroom pro or something? Cause that's what it is. That's the proper version of Lightroom. Lightroom classic. What's that all about? I've noticed occasionally that oh, actually I don't. Why, why does my Photoshop symbol uh, on my desktop and my shortcuts look different to that Photoshop symbol? Because they've changed it, so they made a slight tweak. Because they change the actual um, logo, don't they? A Photoshop or Lightroom slightly. Yeah, sometimes uh, that's all you're bloody paying for. Yeah, yeah, I know. And you thought, oh, that's the new logo, and you didn't get. Sometimes I used to get quite excited by it. Oh, I've got the new Lightroom logo, so I've got the new version. But now, I mean, as you know. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Robert and I work um, uh, together a lot of the time and Robert will do most of the editing. So I don't get involved in editing so much. So I'm not over familiar now. I've, I've lost touch with a lot of what's going on in Photoshop and uh, certainly Photoshop, but also Lightroom as well. Um, so I don't, I, I I can't really make the comments on it and review it as much as say you can, because you're saying that it's clunky, it's slow. So is there another option out there? there is there is and i'm going to come on to that right because my rant, my rant's not over yet right okay, okay no continue continue <laughs> thank you because uh now admittedly i've gone a bit harsh perhaps on this new version of lightroom because i've not really used it a great deal but i have i have checked it out a couple of times and it, it isn't up to par with with lightroom classic that they're trying to uh phase out um but lightroom classic let's call a spade a spade it's oh yeah it is slow it's clunky it's you know it is in need of an overall so they're along the right lines but here's what I'm trying to suggest, right? This is a company that in uh, 2021, right, is expected is expecting a revenue of about $15.45 billion. $15 billion, right? So here's an idea, all right? I'll give this one to Adobe for free, okay? Yeah, Make a creative cloud app that works, right? Make a creative cloud app. Right, with that 15.45 billion that you're expected to make in 2021, make a creative cloud cloud I can't even say it, a creative cloud app that lets you uninstall programs without getting caught in some weird loop about whether or not you want to keep your preferences or not. Do you know how many times I've had that pop up? Yeah, preferences. I've uninstalled the program. Why is it asking me? It drives me crazy. 
Yeah, it's constant. Um, you know, because I think a lot of people use Lightroom as a as a, a catalogue, don't they? As a library to store their pictures and everything. Um, yes, that's right. We, you, we tend to be session based users, so we just yeah. we just import, export, and we don't catalogue within Lightroom. No, but um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll get back onto the point because um, ignoring this new version of Lightroom, which isn't up to scratch, <laughs> the old version isn't either because it it like I say, it's slow. So. I've run a little bit of an experiment. I've set myself a challenge mm-hmm. uh, just for this month because I've not bought it yet. Uh, I say yet, uh, but I'm using Capture One Pro uh, for a little, right. little while. Okay. And Capture One, it's been around for a long time now. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly how long, um, but it is that, kind of your alternative to Lightroom. Was that Apple's um, Twitch? No, that's, that? that's Aperture. Aperture, that's it. But right, that's okay. been discontinued. Right, now. okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, uh, yeah, it's Capture One Pro and... Uh, it's it's a much more affordable option, and I say that because yes, you can pay for it monthly. Right. Um, I don't know exactly how much it is monthly, but it okay. it, it does work out to a little bit. Or you can buy, uh, I think, a one-time license for it. Right. Okay. Maybe and a it's... one-time license or an annual license. But I'm I was fairly sure you could buy buy it uh, just buy it outright. Which you used okay. to be able to do. Now, Capture One. Um, <laughs> It's not a perfect program from what I've seen so far. Okay. And I tend to find that this is a program that is used in the commercial sector more and more. Okay. In my experience. Interesting, and, right? Yeah. yeah. In, in big studios and things like that for its tethering options, you can plug your camera in, shoot tethered. And it just seems to be, you know, for whatever reason, I've seen it again and again, time and time again, uh, over Lightroom. And I wondered why that was. So I, I saw an advert recently and I thought, I'm going to download Capture One, a, a trial of Capture One, and try it out just out of curiosity. Right. And uh, instantly I realized that it is much, much better as far as load times go and just speed in general. Really? Yeah, easily, easily, much, much, That's much quicker. Um, oh, you see, cool. I wonder... It... The, the speed of it, do you think it's an Adobe thing? Because, you know, we do a lot of video editing as well. And we use Premiere. And Premiere is such a clunky program, we think. It does have a tendency to crash. Um, and um, we've got the right computers to deal with it. But it does, but you know, it, it does crash quite often. We do a lot of research online. Um, and people seem to have the same problems. You know, oh, it's bloody Premiere. Premiere's crashed again. Premiere's crashed again. I hear it time and time again. I wonder if it's an Adobe thing or, you know, I mean, I know you've just started using Capture One, so I wonder. Uh, yeah, I, I mean. I don't know. You see, you've got Adobe Lightroom. Do you think that uh, Lightroom has slowed down because somewhere in there, it's got a load of your stuff, you know, saved somewhere like in cached or something, whatever you call it. And it's just made it slower and slower and slower or something. And because well, you've just, here's the thing though, is you're meant to, mm. they want you to keep all your pictures in Lightroom. They want you to be able to use it as a catalog and yeah. log all of your stuff in it. So it should run smoothly. Yeah, well should optimized. Do. You should yeah. be able to have a hundred thousand pictures in there. Yeah. If that's what you're doing. If that's how you catalog your images, yeah, and it shouldn't impact the performance. So that's what mm. they really want to push. Yeah. We don't use it that way. We never have. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it, like I say, Capture One. It's yeah, so far I've been quite impressed with it. Right. And I'm going to carry on using it, and I, perhaps I'll report back at some point um, my findings. Yeah. But it uh, it's it isn't as user friendly initially. I wouldn't say. Okay. Lightroom. I think you could drop into Lightroom and you could figure it out. You know, it, it's a bit more user friendly. Capture One is very much. Um, 
it's a bit overwhelming because it's all there. It's all loaded up. Is it? And uh, the interface is a lot more, um, I think once you know it, it's yeah. fine. But initially you have to kind of figure out what's what, how it works. Um, whereas perhaps it's just because I've got experience with Lightroom, I don't know. But by all accounts, other people have said the same that uh, so you're Lightroom, is easier, Lightroom is easier to drop into right. than Capture One is. And I would agree with that so far. Sorry, how do you mean? Can you explain that? Well, that's what I mean. That's what I'm saying is that the interface, as far as knowing where the op- options are, features are, etc. Yeah, Lightroom is is fairly clearly labelled, whereas right, okay. Capture One isn't perhaps as clear as that, at least from the outset. Right. Until you get to until you get to explore until you explore it and get to know it. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. The main difference is what it's quicker. Would you say? Or I well, mean, does it's, it? It's not the difference, but it's it's. Well, I suppose it is difference, but it's definitely a benefit. Um, right. much much quicker i processed yeah. a shoot the other day yeah uh, in capture one that i know for mm. a fact would have just taken ages you know when you go from picture to picture in lightroom and yeah it, it appears blurry at first and then pings yeah. in um yeah it, it just it's just there it's just ready it's really? just i just ping through they're all there process them quickly right just felt a lot lot quicker a lot smoother the process um so and yeah, in- so pleasantly surprised yes yeah, so as far as the industry is concerned is would you say that lightroom is is probably the, the the one that's used the most. I don't know. I think I think um, from what I've seen, I'll probably say Lightroom is the most popular. Hmm. But I've seen Capture One in big studios, different right. companies and things, and and yeah. you see it. You see it uh, if you watch a lot of um, like documentaries or whatnot. You can see a shoot in the background. Yeah, <laughs> you know some sort of photography documentary. I don't know. You do see yeah. it. You see Capture One. Yeah, uh, big commercial shoots and things because people tend to use it. And when they're shooting tethered, yeah, um, it's got really good tethered functionality. Lightroom, you can shoot tethered as well now, I believe. Right. Um, but Capture One is something that they've had for a long, long time there. And it's always been a benefit. Yeah. Um, so you've got tethered shooting, you've got um, speed. Yeah. And you've got something else. Obviously, Lightroom has its own, uh, you know, local adjustments. By local adjustments, we're talking about uh, radial filters, uh, uh, gradient filters, um, spot spot adjustment brushes and things like that. Yeah. And uh Catch One's got something similar, but it works all in layers. You actually got layers in in Capture One. Yeah, right. Uh, whereas in Lightroom, you don't really have actual layers to work with. So you've kind of got more options. It's kind of a bit more of a crossover in a way with with a bit more like Photoshop functionality with layers. Mm. Not in yeah. the sense, not nowhere near to the level of Photoshop as far as what you can do. Yeah. Um, but kind of a bit more control than you do with with Lightroom, I would say. Hmm. Interesting actually. It'd be really I'd really like to hear what you've got to say about it once you've used it for a while, because it, it you know, we've always said we're all, we're, we're here. We've always been open to new ideas, you know, and new things. We're not stuck on always using the same thing. We are definitely not sort of, no, that's the only thing that we use. We've always used it and it's perfectly okay. If there's something better out there, then, and we've tried it and tested it, we will change to it and and utilize that just to make our workflow quicker as well. Plus it also freshens you up as well, I think, just to see something different. You know, if an interface looks different, it, it's like coming into something new and uh, like you're using something new and it just feels different. So it's quite good just to feel it. I think it can re-inspire you, whereas Lightroom is just a, probably the same thing over and over again. I suppose somebody coming from Capture One to Lightroom would say the same thing. So I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying that, that sometimes a change can be good. But yeah, I'd be really interested to know because I'd and if it's quicker when you know where you know 
we edit a lot of images or we or you do robert we go through a lot of work and uh, editing a lot of images then speed is absolutely essential and it's also just good to learn it because you never know when you're in a situation where you might just have to use one program or the other so it's it's good experience it's it's good to know both programs i think as well yeah absolutely um, definitely is a but um, um, that's i think that we think that's oh hang on you hear that cam Last orders at the bar. Last orders at the bar. That's last orders at the bar. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's last so orders. We're going to have to finish up there, guys, and uh, go into our last bit of the the last orders after show here. Um, but make sure you you like, follow, and subscribe to the photography bar, and uh, share it with everyone. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Let us get out there. Let us spread the word. And if you fancy something a bit different, sign up to the uh, the the single. Was it Cam? <laughs> the single shot and the double the, shot. Yeah, the single measure and the double single measure. Single measure and the double yes. measure. Single measure. I've already got our branding down <laughs> um, um, on, on the Patreon feed. What uh, what what are we going to um, uh, talk about? Right. Yeah. So for the last lock-in. orders, it's not lock in. It's the last orders. Yeah, lock in. <laughs> the last orders. <laughs> we should perhaps give some context here now because we, we might both say this at different times. When we say lock in after show, we mean the last orders after show because it was originally going to be called the lock in after show, but that didn't work out for us in the end. So it's the last orders after show. So actually, because I had to, did I not have to explain to you what a lock in was, Robert? Going back ages ago, an actual lock in. Yeah, you did. Yes, I did, didn't right. I? So for yeah. those of you that don't know, I couldn't remember whether I did or I didn't. Last orders. Uh, here in the UK is uh, around half past 10 in most bars, something like that, half 10, quarter to 11. They ring a bell and uh, shout last orders, and that gives you time to get one more drink in. And then they have another bell, I think, what, half an hour later to say, that's it, you've got to drink up and you've got to leave. Um, and then the lock-in was actually something illegal, which it, which it still is if you don't have the right license, where um, all the punters go, shall we say, and the uh, landlord will keep uh, a certain number of people in and lock the door and they'll stay on drinking illegally, shall we say. Naughty, naughty. Naughty, naughty. Uh, so that's not all we're doing, uh, but this is the last orders. <laughs> the, Sorry. The last orders after show. So uh, for our first ever after show now, we're going to go into a Q&A. And we've got people from all across the globe. Like we said at the start of the show, oh, we've yeah. got a worldwide audience now. We've got uh, Manchester, Glasgow, Australia, um, all sorts of places in the UK and beyond. So it's going to be a good, good after show where we dive into some of people's uh, questions and and tackle that. So, Cal, let's go get another drink in and get ready yeah. for the uh, for the last last uh, the last orders after show. <laughs> all right. 